open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Your Bible or your Bible app, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to be reading the first eight verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm using the English Standard Version. You can follow along any version that you, that you have with you this morning. Uh, the first part of this passage will not appear on the screen, so don't rely on that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I'm just a little tempted right at this point to say, I think we're there. I think we're there. Verse 5, As for you, he says, always be sober-minded, Timothy. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And it's really the next three verses that totally captured my heart and my mind as I studied this passage in preparation for today. Verse 6 says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Wow. I mean, when you read this passage, you're not only inspired by Paul's life and his testimony and his ministry, you are confronted by the urgency with which he lives. I mean, there is a sense of urgency in this passage. He said, Jesus is coming. That day is fast approaching. And he says, he's going to judge the living and the dead. So, so, so we better be ready. We better be ready for his appearing. He's coming. Be ready in season and out of season, he says. Be ready when it's convenient and when it's not. But be ready. You, you can almost taste the earnestness in this passage. You can almost taste the determination in these verses. So I guess the question that arises out of, out of this passage is the question, how can we get ready and, and, and stay ready for the coming of Jesus? I think it's a good question to ask on the last Sunday of the year, looking uh, into the new year, but it's a good question to ask any day of the year, really. How do we get ready and stay ready for the coming of Jesus? Because that, I think, is the point that Paul is, is, is uh, driving at in this passage. And there are several good suggestions for getting ready and staying ready till Jesus comes. First of all, consider your life an offering to God rather than a monument to men. 
Consider how you might live your life in a way that brings blessing and honor and glory to God, like a living sacrifice, rather than spending all your time and all your energy and all your money building some monument to men that doesn't matter past the life of you or the thing that you build. 2 Timothy 4.6 Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. So, this is the last letter that Paul writes. 2 Timothy is the last letter that he penned. He has a sense that his time is, is, is coming to a close. And here he describes his pending death in Old Testament sacrificial language. He sees himself as laying down his life as a drink offering poured out upon the sacrifice of God's service. He sees himself being poured out as a drink offering, offering your life to God, living as a sacrificial person in the kingdom of God for His glory and for His honor, it is so much better than building some monument for the sake of men or living for the praise of men or living to please people. It's so much better to present your life as an offering to God. In 1923, uh, a group of the world's most wealthy financiers met at a hotel in Chicago called the Edgewater Beach Hotel. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury at the time. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been uh, encouraging the youth of the day to follow the example of these men. But 23 years later, 23 years after this special meeting at the Beachwater uh, Hotel in Chicago, here's where these men were. Charles Schwab, the president of the largest independent steel company, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, spent time in prison. Three other men, Jesse Livermore, one of the greatest stockbrokers who ever lived, Leon Fraser, the president of the Bank of International Settlement, and Ivor Kruger, the head of a large industrial monopoly, all three of those men committed suicide. That's what makes me say, don't waste your time building monuments to men. Don't waste your time living for the praise of men. Don't waste your life trying to get your name in the paper or up in lights because it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. When it's gone, it's gone. Instead, spend your life working for the praise of God. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time building monuments of men to men. Rather, uh, offer your life as a sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul makes that appeal to us in Romans chapter 12. Right, those familiar verses... Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect and acceptable. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. How can we get ready and stay ready till Jesus comes? Consider your life an offering to God rather than a monument to men. They might give you a gold watch after 40 years of service. Your picture and your name might go up on the wall until the next person redecorates the office. Spend your time serving the Lord. Next, remember that finishing well is the final proof that the truth works. Remember that finishing well is the final proof that the truth works. Paul writes to Timothy in verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Oh, would I ever like to have that on my tombstone? Wouldn't you? That'd be great. Finishing well, finishing the race, keeping the faith is the final proof that the truth really works. It changes lives. Finishing well is confirmation that God's word is trustworthy and true. Finishing well is a good testimony that what Jesus taught us, what he left us, is absolutely and utterly true. Don't you admire people who finish well? I mean, sometimes just finishing is noteworthy. Sometimes finishing is just as impressive as winning. My wife and I traveled uh, to New Zealand years ago. I was speaking at a conference, and on one of the days that we were there, we witnessed the very end of the, the Auckland Triathlon, that uh, mega race in which they combine uh, swimming and cycling and running. And we were just, we, were, we, we came across the, the, the finish line and, and stood there for a, a little bit. There was this one guy who was coming down the road. He was struggling, struggling so hard to just stay on his feet. And he was running toward the finish line. Uh, he, he was baked and you could tell it. Uh, he was staggering rather than running in a straight line. But we stood there urging him on. You know, you get into it. Come on, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, don't give up. And we urged him on. As he tried to focus on the finish line, you can see, you know, he's wiping his brow and he's focusing on the finish line. He stumbled on his, on his own two feet. And he stumbled and he fell and he got up and his knees were scraped. We're, Come on, get up, keep running. We really got into it. I think we're the only ones. Uh, <laughs> but he finally made it across the finish line. We cheered for him as if uh, he was a first place finisher. But I'm telling you, he was so far out of the race, it wasn't even funny. They, they, had, they were already packing up the grandstands, you know, disassembling. They'd taken all the banners off for the race. Most of the people had gone home. This guy was one of the last place finishers. But, but it was exciting that he finished. We were just excited that the guy had the stamina and the endurance and the perseverance and the, the tenacity to finish the race. Sometimes finishing is just as impressive as winning. Poor guy didn't win a thing. It was, it was a done deal. But he finished. 
I admire, I admire people who finish well. Don't you? Just say, man, they, they stood against all the odds. It's so much going, he had so much going on in his life. But he persevered and he finished. That's impressive. Years ago, I went to bat for a, a missionary couple who were on the last leg of the race. They were close to retirement, but they wanted just one more crack at the bat, so to speak. They were turning 65, and the mission wanted to retire them. And they poured out their hearts to me. So I put my reputation on the line, and I went to bat for them. Uh, they had just one more project to finish, and, and I had the advantage of seeing it. I saw what they did. I saw how close they were to finishing the race. And so I made an appeal to the mission board to let them finish. They only had one half lap to go. You see, people who are obsessed with following Jesus will do what they have to do to finish well. They run the race with their hands to the plow, their noses to the grindstone, their fingers on the biblical text, their hearts on the altar. They fight, they finish, they keep the faith. How about you? Remember that finishing well is the final proof that the truth works. So how can a believer in Jesus get ready and stay ready? How do we prep for 2018? How do we prep for the coming of Jesus? First of all, consider your life an offering to God rather than a monument to men. Second, remember that finishing well is the final proof that the truth works. And then finally, Paul concludes his exhortation to young Timothy in verse 8 where he says, fix your eyes on the rewards of heaven, not the enticements of earth. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, there, there's a reward for perseverance. There really is. There's a reward for walking by faith and not by sight. There's a reward for sticking to your guns. When all your friends are going this way, you're going this way. There's a reward for that. When people are trying to pull you off to this side or that side, or they're making fun of you, and you just keep your eyes fixed on the goal, there's a reward for that. It's called the crown of righteousness. There is in store for you the crown of righteousness. There's a crown coming. There's a crown coming. There's a reward waiting. And this text says the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself will award it to you on that day. He's not going to have any one of His angels do it. Peter's not going to do it. Paul's not going to do it. Uh-uh. No, sir. Jesus Himself is going to award that crown of righteousness. Whoa. Whoa. Will we, will we be able to speak? Will we, will we be able to say, thank you, Jesus, when He puts that crown on our, our heads? You know, use a little sanctified imagination here this morning. Will we fall on our knees when He does that? 
What will that be like? Well, I don't know, but I sure want to find out. Don't you? Yeah. See, that's why John will, will write what he writes with such urgency. In, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, if he was writing that today, I suspect he might say, What is the matter with you? <laughs> you know, What's up? Don't love the world or the things in the world. The world has nothing to offer us. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa. Full stop. Let's pause there for a moment. Do a little bit of navel gazing for a second and say, Lord, do I love the world more than I love you? Not a bad thing to do on New Year's Eve day. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, John says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all that's in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. It's going to get burned up. The, mon the monuments that you build to men are going to get burned up. The investment that you make in the philosophy and things of the world, it's not going to last. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, now we're talking. So, what do we do? Fix your eyes on the rewards of heaven rather than the enticements of earth. And that's what they are. They're enticements. The world has nothing to offer that a follower of Jesus requires. The world has nothing to offer that a follower of Jesus requires. The world has nothing to offer that a follower of Jesus needs to survive and serve God. The world has nothing to offer. This world is not our home. And so we, we ought to fix, we need to fix our, our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to fix our eyes on the new heavens and the new earth and the full restoration of all things at the moment that God declares it will happen. A day is coming when our Heavenly Father will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. There will be no more mourning and no chemo and no, no death, no crying, no pain. It will all be over. The former things will have passed away. So fix your eyes on the rewards of heaven rather than the enticements of earth. Because that's what's going to last forever, not this stuff. Colossians 3 also reminds us to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Like It makes no sense to set your heart and mind on things on earth because that stuff is going to pass away. It's all going to be gone in a flash. Just boom, it's, it's over. For you have died, he says in verse 3. 
have died. You've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you, and the life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, fix your eyes on the rewards of heaven and not the enticements that are on on earth. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Sure it does. And and what about Hebrews 12? If you're not convinced yet, let me take you to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you, Jesus. See, the only way that we can persevere, the only way we can set our hearts and minds on on Jesus, the only way that we can uh, offer our lives to God as an offering rather than a monument to men is the fact that Jesus has gone before us. He's the author and perfecter or pioneer of our faith. The only reason we've got faith today is because of Jesus. So let's fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the rewards of heaven rather than the enticements, the allurements, the the temptations that are here on earth. And there are plenty of them. Right? We know that. And, And some of them are just plain fun. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last. I want to finish the race and keep the faith. Don't you? I I want to be ready in season and out of season. I want to be found ready at His appearing. Not saying, oh, hold off. Just, you know, hold off another day. Hold off a week. Hold off a month. i got to get things... No, I want to be ready when He comes. I want to be ready. I I want that crown of righteousness, don't you? That the Lord Himself will place on your head. I want that. I want that. So... So we need to live in anticipation of those days. When they come, we're ready. And we don't know. We don't know the time or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour when that will happen. But we do know Jesus is coming back. Amen? We know He's coming back. And so we need to be ready. Will it be 2018? I don't know. I just know that I, I, I want that crown. I, I, I want to be ready. I need to be ready. I want to finish the race, keep the faith. I want to be able to say, I have finished. And I've kept the faith. Right? That's what we want. So let's get ready. And let's stay ready until Jesus comes. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, I, have, I have never been less anxious and, and more ready for Your return than I am today. Although not many of us, Lord, live with a sense of accomplishment like Paul did when he was able to write those words, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Still, we look forward to that day when we will see Jesus face to face. We do. We look forward to that. And so by the power of Your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and the spirit of love and the spirit of power. Would you ensure that we get ready and stay ready for that day? Lord, would you work in our lives in in such a way that we have the motivation, desire to, to... 
and the, 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 the grace to get ready and, and, and stay that way and, until the very day when Jesus comes. For that, we, we have to cast ourselves upon Your grace, and we do that again this morning. We long to wear the crown of righteousness someday in Your perfect time. But until You come, Lord Jesus, until You come, please know that we consider it an honor and a privilege to serve You in building Your kingdom. Thank You for allowing us to come alongside of You in the work of the kingdom, to to identify where God is at work and join Him in that. Thank You for that privilege. And, And until that glorious day when we see Jesus face to face, we shall run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We shall fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because He first loved us. And so we pray this all in the exalted, wonderful, glorious name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Amen.